This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me for this week's edition of In the Pocket it is longtime NFL quarterback Chase Daniel. Chase, how you doing, man? Good, good, good. We were just talking about uh, weather. It's uh, currently 68 and sunny in San Diego, and you said it's the coldest day of the year in Chicago. So I don't envy your position because out here we may go to the beach later today, and it's going to be an excellent day. I understand and appreciate that sort of lifestyle. I've lived in L.A. for five years. It made me soft, and I didn't like how the passage of time felt. A year would end, and I would have no markers for time moving, so I would just wake up every January 1st. Like I can't believe another year just went by. So I feel like the life I live now is hardier. I understand time passing and can sense it, and this is a very important thing for me. I made a joke about this on the internet earlier today. I want to dress like a 1920s Irish fisherman as often as I can throughout the year. So this weather gives me a chance to do that. I want the thickest, heaviest cable knit sweater it I can like find. Looks like you're wearing it right with. now. Yeah. This is actually much lighter than the one I had on earlier today. I swear to God, I had a much <laughs> thicker cable knit sweater on earlier today, and I just the some like thick, thick pants. That's how I want to live, and I can't do that if I'm living in LA. So I very much can settle into the best version of myself sartorially when I live in the Midwest. So that's what I, I'm after. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I get it. And it has made me soft. But th- I think the one thing that I probably miss about living in the Midwest or even in Dallas where it can get freezing cold, um, it's just the seasons, right? Like the yeah. season change here, it just seems like every day for the most part is summer or spring and that's great but that's why we live out here we go take trips to colorado we're going to new york later so we go to the cold spots for four or five days get our fix and then and then we're back right out here i don't like doing holiday stuff when it's warm to me that's just weird we last couple weeks ago we spent a saturday we went out and bought a real christmas tree for the first time in our new house got it home put it in the stand, watered it. We had Christmas music on. We're putting the ornaments on there. I go outside. I put up all of our garland and lights all around the house. If I was doing that when it was 70 degrees outside, it would feel so weird to me. I just want to sit and be cozy and have a warm beverage of some kind on the couch with my dog with a Christmas tree in the background. And you can't do that when it's 81 degrees. It's not yeah. possible. Yeah, that sounds it sounds really cozy. And that's why we go with the fake trees. We have a couple fake trees that we put up. And I'm just like, the, the tree's going to die in this heat. Like, there's no reason to even. So we just made the investment. We got some fake trees. Usually my wife decorates the trees. I decorate around the house. Now we do have, I'm staring at it. We do have like real garland hanging over our front door. So we, we splurged on that and some in our house. But other than that, it's all, it's all fake. Okay. And we're getting toward Christmas, and that means the NFL season is definitely coming into full view in ways both good and bad. Some teams, their season has come together in the way that they wanted it to. Some teams are out of it. And one team I did not expect to be in that latter group uh, as we talk on December 13th is the Los Angeles Chargers. But here we are. News comes out yesterday. Justin Herbert is now on IR out for the season after having finger surgery. The Chargers season is over. I thought Daniel Popper, who covers the Chargers for us, did a really good job with his piece today, just talking about how the Chargers have found themselves in an unfamiliar place in the Brandon Staley era, and that's irrelevance. Even if there have been frustrating moments, even if they've fallen short of expectation at times, they've always been in the conversation. They were either playing for their playoff lives in Week 18 against the Raiders or playing in the playoffs last year, even if it ended horribly. And now we're not even midway through December and their season is done. So in your mind, where does this Justin Herbert injury not only leave Justin Herbert, where does this leave the state of the Los Angeles Chargers right now? Well, I mean, it's just they're going to have to start fresh, right? Like that's the number one thing to me. Um, the they're 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 not relevant right now, and that's the biggest thing that I think 
you, you know, I, you go back and I'm like, man, that's that's right. That was two years ago that we were playing. We just needed to tie the Raiders in Las Vegas, and that was the craziest game. I think we completed like eight fourth down, or we we got eight fourth down conversions in that game, some NFL record. And then, you know, last year, put it together toward the end of the year, went a lot straight, and then we go to Jacksonville, lose that crazy game. And it just – it did feel a little bit different from an outsider's perspective, but yet an insider. So I was like – I was like towing the line – on both, like, okay, how do I feel about the Chargers going into the season? Because I've been in there, I've seen it, and then try to step back, put the media cap on, and understand, okay, well, and, and I was sort of mixed. I thought for sure with the hire of Kellen Moore that they were going to do better things and that maybe finally in his third year at the helm um, that Brandon Staley could fix that defense, and it just, it just is not true at all. And it just hasn't happened. And that's probably the number one thing that Brandon Staley's going to regret, that a bunch of Chargers fans regret, is getting their hope up, right? Like time and time. This is different. This is different. It seems like it happens every single year. And, and look, with Justin, I, I think it's an interesting conversation. And one that with Justin, I, I just think that he needs a little bit of a reset. Like obviously, like when he broke his finger and he went in, like – to the training room like it everyone knew that he was probably done for the season like when you have a finger injury like first of all he had one on his non-throwing hand he played through it just wasn't the same and then he had this injury and then he had a rib injury last year it just seems like these little i say little they're really not little injuries but these injuries that keep mounting up like sort of take away from his greatness and he hasn't really been himself since 2021 so that's two full years of going through, trying to fight through injuries, trying to make it right. And I think he played at times when he was healthy in this Kellen Moore style offense. Like I thought he played really well. And so that to me is the biggest thing is just like, take a step back. Like, look, I, I love Brandon Saley, but the chances of him being there next year are, are slim to none. Um, and that's, it's just, that's sort of the state in my opinion right now of, of Justin and the chargers. And it's hard to watch because I know all those guys, like yeah. I sweated with those guys. Like I, like we, we went to battle with those guys. We, we, we worked through a lot of stuff in that locker room, uh, just like any other team would. And just uh, like 2021, the way it ended 2022, the way it ended with that playoff loss. And you're thinking, man, and Justin still doesn't have a playoff win. That's the biggest thing to me that going into this new probably new new like head coaching search that you're going to have to have someone that that really gets the most out of, of Justin Herbert. How would you categorize the first four years of Justin Herbert's career? Are you satisfied with them? Do you think they're disappointing from a team success perspective? All the guys that have gotten these top of the market quarterback deals over the last offseason or two, guys drafted in 2020, 2021. Think about those players. Joe Burrow has been to two AFC championship games in a Super Bowl. Jalen Hurts went to the Super Bowl last year. Lamar Jackson has an MVP award. Justin Herbert's individual accolades and team accolades have never risen to that level. I think he's a very good quarterback, but I'm curious as somebody who has seen this up close and is looking at both him and the Chargers from a bubble outside of what I'll call like football hipster internet which I think is sometimes too insular and we can't yeah. see beyond ourselves. Yeah. You may not be the right person to ask for perspective on this because you might be too close to it, but how would you characterize both who he is as a quarterback right now and how would you put into context what the first four years have looked like when you compare it to the other guys who we've no-brainer given those contracts to? I wouldn't go as far as saying it's a disappointment, right? Because it, it's not. He won Rookie of the Year 2021, had a heck of a year under first-year offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi. And then you look at the last two years. So so half of his years in the NFL have been – he's been hurt. Like, he was a lot more injured and hurt than people, like, thought in 2022. That affected his play. Of course it did. Um, Is that its and, own problem, though? Um, in In what way? If these guys are, if he's going to have lingering injuries that continue yeah. to affect him, is that its own issue? Well, I, I would say that these, I don't necessarily know if they're, they're lingering in terms of like, it's not like he's not work. Cause this dude works out like crazy. Like he's a, he's, yeah, he's a, a machine. Warrior. He's absolutely shredded up. People machine. do not appreciate that about him standing yes. next to that guy. He's in dude. insane shape. He is. He really is. So, 
it's just a little bit I, I call like either it like you have a guy that always gets injured like okay cool this isn't just he's just a little bit of bad luck like yeah. a finger and the two fingers in the same year and then just the way he landed in in the KC game when he when he fractured his rib cartilage like it didn't even look bad like it just looked like he landed and all of a sudden and then that just turns into it so I don't think that's a separate issue but the biggest thing with Justin I is tend to agree like, with you by the way yeah, I think this yeah. is just a stretch of bad luck which we've seen for other guys in the past and the thing with Justin that I just go back to is that, you know, the supporting cast around him on offense is really, really good. Now, are they going to be able to keep all those guys together? Is Quentin Johnson finally going to step up and be the guy they, they hope that they would? Um, are they going to be able to keep Austin Eckler? Are they going to be able to keep uh, Mike Williams and Keenan Allen both? Um, what are they going to do in the draft? I think they've solidified that offensive line for the most part. Um and, and it's really like if you look at the games where Justin's played well, it's been those games that the run game is married with the pass game. He's under center, play action, deep shots down the field, taking those shots. And then look, the Lombardi offense, people want to give Lombardi a bad rap. It was just the way teams were playing us in 2022 when we just didn't throw the ball down the field. And I think Kellen Moore sort of unlocked that. So that's a whole nother issue. Like, do you – First of all, does Kellen Moore, if Brandon Saley gets fired, does Kellen Moore get an interview there because of his success with Justin in that offense? And secondly, if not, if you bring in a new head coach, do you keep Kellen Moore? Because Kellen Moore is, I mean, he's going to get scooped up, probably going to get some head coaching interviews uh, like he has the past couple of years. So it's an interesting situation over there in L.A. Let's talk about the personnel first. This is going to be a challenging offseason because of how many chips they pushed into the middle of the table for 2023. This team is currently $42 million over the 2024 salary cap. And that's with Justin Herbert carrying a $19 million cap at next year. That's it. This huge contract, this huge extension, those big numbers aren't coming until a little bit further down the road. Let me, I want to read some cap figures to you. Khalil Mack, $38.5 million. Joey Bosa, $36.6 million. Mike Williams, $32.4 million. Keenan Allen, $34.7 million. And there are a bunch of other guys in the $15 to $20 million range. There are decisions that are going to have to be made, and I'm fascinated by what those decisions are ultimately going to look like. Do they trade one of these guys? Do they trade Joey Bosa? Do they move on from Mike Williams where they can save $20 million against the cap? So I think that there are going to be some serious hits to some of that supporting cast next year, whether it's on offense or defense. And you talk about a reset. I'm wondering how hard of a reset this team actually hits, especially if we get a new front office along with a new coaching staff, which I think is a possibility. Yeah, I mean, it is a possibility. And, and those those are astronomical numbers, first of all. like It just seems to me that um, they've kicked the can down the road. Now, will they continue to kick the can down the road? I don't think they're going to keep every single one of those players, but Keenan, like, like I got to give Keenan some love. Like he just keeps doing it. Like yes. he's an ageless wonder. It's, it is insane. And I would say like, if I had to choose, like you're going to keep Keenan over Mike because Mike's sort of that injury, his knee, you don't know how it is. He's sort of injury prone, still a really good player, but I think Keenan does more for Justin in the past game. Now that's the thing about this is like you drafted Quentin Johnson to replace Mike Williams at some point is that point this year I have no idea like that's for that's there's so many different layers like is Tom Telesco still there are there other changes in the front office does this new head coach that they bring in if they fire Staley does he have say over the roster does he bring his own guy so I don't know if you're going to do this like crazy hard reset maybe like the Rams did after they won the Super Bowl just because they couldn't afford everyone but the, the, the D-line is interesting. Like, Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa, over, over 30. Like, I think you keep one of those guys. And then, but, like, how do you get rid of Khalil Mack? Like, the dude is After having, the season that he just had. Like, yeah. You, you got, I, think, I feel like there's, there's certain ways that really good GMs, really good front offices, they maneuver the cap, right? And do you want to just keep kicking some? Do you want to do a restructure where, hey, let's just run this back maybe one more year, figure out who we're going to keep? figure out a good nucleus because I felt like they for the most part they drafted pretty well the last couple couple times um so it's a fascinating like it's probably one of the most fascinating things that I'm going to be watching this offseason is one if Saley gets fired who gets the job two does Telesco make it through and three what do they do to build around Justin 
if they move on from Khalil Mack, Mike Williams, and let's say Corey Lindsley, whose health is a question moving forward, he's obviously missed most of this season with a heart issue. They're already under the cap with those three. So it, they can do it. They're just going to have to lose some of these big name pieces that we're talking about. And I think Mike Williams and even maybe Joey Bosa, I think about how injured they've been over the last couple of years. It might be time to move on from a couple of those guys and move in a new direction. And Corey specifically, when we talk about what this offense has been missing this season, I think his absence has been underrated. If you watch what they're doing, especially against pressure right now, they just aren't doing a great job with their pressure plan and how they're picking stuff up. And I think that they've missed him specifically in that area. But overall, the offensive line was supposed to be a marginal strength this year compared to previous seasons. With Slater coming back, Pipkins was supposed to be healthier on the right side after a lingering injury all of last year. They were dropping Jamari Sawyer in at right guard. Zion Johnson was moving back to his natural position at left guard. Supposed to be a strength of the roster rather than a drawback, which it had been in previous years. But if you look at some of the areas where this team was supposed to be better, everybody I talked to in training camp, everybody there, what needs to be better on offense? What needs to be better on offense? We need to be able to run the ball. We need to be able to run the ball consistently based on how teams are playing against us. That was hammered over and over and over again. Everybody in football media was obsessed with this pushing the ball down the field stuff, and that was going to be the difference. Everybody in that building was telling you how much better the run game was going to be because of Kellen Moore. Where do you think the Chargers rank in rushing success rate this season? 26th. 30th. Oh, even worse. The Bucks and the Jets are the only two teams worse than them. So I think right now, the plans they've tried to institute offensively over the last couple of years have not worked. And that's why, to me, you need a fairly hard reset for what that's going to look like, which brings me to the question I really wanted to ask you. Everything is on the table right now, essentially, because ev- this could arguably be the most attractive head coaching job that comes open because of what everyone thinks about the quarterback, justifiably. So if you were picking an offense to drop Justin Herbert into, and you can have anything in the NFL that you wanted. You could steal from any system, any coordinator. Who would it be? How would you reset this thing? Ben Johnson. That's an easy one to me. And I, and I, do, I do agree that um, this, this will be the most attractive for a lot of reasons. Um, the main thing being the quarterback. I, I think they have good pieces defensively, just not the right scheme. Okay. And so I think that you bring in, and and we've talked about this before, and I think you bring in uh, like an offensive, innovative coach because you have to, after you give the contract to what Justin does, like Justin is your franchise, you have to make sure that he is happy, he is playing well in that system. And just the creativity, the use of motion, the use of different personnel groups, what he's able to do, what he's done with Jared Goff. Could you imagine, like, like I love Goff and Goff's playing well, struggled as of late, but could you imagine what he'd do with Justin Herbert? Like the, in, in those weapons, like, like you would say for the most part, other than the running backs, like in the offensive line for Detroit, the like skilled players in LA are better than the skilled players that are in Detroit. I'm, I'm pushing back on this. Okay. I don't think that the, Even the receiver that the, room other than I don't, I don't think the chargers have this great skill position collection of skill position talent without Mike Williams on the field. And we haven't been able to count on him at all. We just said he might not be on the roster next year. If you look at who he's throwing the ball to right now, we got Alex Erickson out there and Jalen Guyton and Gerald Everett and stone smart. I, I think that we have this idea of what the chargers are when everything, everyone is on the field and everything is clicking and running on full all cylinders. And I just don't think that they've been that for a little while. So I don't think the Lions are great by any stretch, but I don't think the Chargers have this super team of offensive skill position talent the way we've thought about them in the past. Yeah, uh, that's that's fair. But I, I would say like like I imagine with the quarterbacking and the skill group that they could put together on offense with Quentin Johnson, say, say Quentin Johnson and uh, Keenan and Mike come back and you get Eckler back like that. That's a good group. Got to get a tight end in there. Um, but I, I would love to see like a Ben Johnson paired with like an old head defensive coordinator that like just is like matter of a fact, we're doing a couple things on defense. We're not going to be this crazy blitzing defense. We're not going to just play cover two or cover four. Like, here's what we're going to do. Like, like, I know it'll never happen, but I just go back to Vic Fangio. Like, I, I just have enjoyed my time so much with Vic and learned so much about Vic and just how steady he is as a as a coach and what he's been able to do. And they paid him handsomely to go down 
in Miami, and and you can tell they're they're playing a lot better uh, this year than they have in past years. But yeah, like a ben, give me like a Ben Johnson mixed with um, an old head defensive coordinator that just like gets it. And I think that if you surround Justin with enough of the right pieces and you have an organizational reset, uh, it's it it really is like a fascinating because they could go a lot of different ways. They could go just for a straight up like full on rebuild. Okay, everyone is fired, and let's just start new. But that's – I don't know. I mean, I just go back to like I, – I, like I think Tom Telesco does a great job. And does he get another head coach hire? That's, that's what it comes down to. It'd be a lot of them, man. He's gotten more leeway and a lot more leash than a lot of general managers around the NFL have with some of the missteps that they've made. From the coaching side of it, I get Ben Johnson. I let, why don't you try this one on? What about Ben Johnson and Dennis Allen? Yeah, I mean, what the, what Dennis has done, but the, he's not going to be. He's not getting fired after one year. I don't. It's been two years. It's, it's been, been two, two years. Okay. If they Maybe don't win the division fired. this year, I would not be surprised. They're going to win fired. the division at eight and nine. Watch it. They're going to get into the playoffs at eight and nine. I that would be that'd be the guy I would throw in there. Is like yeah. the guy who's got a ton of experience. He's had yeah. a lot of success as a defensive coordinator. Here's what I will say, offensive system wise. And I, I came to this yesterday when I was rewatching the Chargers. Broncos game and just getting so frustrated watching them throw a quick game with this guy who has a bazooka attached to his right arm over and over and over again. I want to see him in the 2021 through 2023 Los Angeles Rams offense where we're not, I don't want to see another three-step drop for the next 20 years of Justin Herbert's career. I don't. I I just don't care about it anymore. And if you look at the numbers, I was looking at Sports Info Solutions yesterday because I was like, am I crazy? Matthew Stafford has the lowest number of one of one or three step drop dropbacks in the NFL among full time starting quarterbacks this year. When you have a quarterback like that, I want him to either be pushing the ball down the field or something off of play action. I, yeah. I don't need their heavy play action, right? Hank, like heavy I, I don't need it. Yeah. So I, that's what <laughs> I want, and I think Ben Johnson is smart enough and malleable enough where he's going to incorporate a lot of it. Cause he doesn't come from one schematic background, right? This it's is pretty similar just, though. If you watch it like 21 through 23, they're pretty similar in how they yeah. are always jet sweep motion. They're, they're heavy. I bet if you, I, I don't know, we didn't probably come prepared for this, but I know for the fact that the Rams, since they're, they're by have been like the heaviest under center play action team in the NFL. Like I'd imagine that LA, I mean, golf is under center a lot. Like I think that's what Justin is. I think so too. I think, and, and if you're in the gun, can it be a more heavy seven step drop back concepts from the gun sort of offense like we've seen from the Rams over the last couple of years? Because I, I'm sure that people who look at Justin Herbert and his record and only listen to all of us who keep saying, promise you guys, he really is really good. I swear to God, he's a really good quarterback. It reminds me a little bit, and I, I think Matthew Stafford was more mired in the middle during his time in Detroit than people consider Justin Herbert, who a lot of people are putting as a top five, six quarterback. But it's similar to me. It's like, how can this guy with all this talent be a part of these forgettable teams? Like At a certain point, shouldn't his offenses be better than this if he's super talented? But you look at, even with talented quarterbacks, you look at how much circumstances matter and how much context matters. And if you put them in the right spot with a couple tweaks here and there, we can see different versions of them. And that's why I don't think we need wholesale changes to all of the offensive personnel or what Justin Herbert is, but just little tiny tweaks of the dial to make sure that we're getting everything we can out of him. And I think that sort of offense is the best route to make that happen. Yeah, and I think you hit it right on. Like a lot of times people that don't understand NFL offenses, they just think that, or teams like, we just need to throw everything out the window. We need to start from scratch. No, you don't. You don't need to start from scratch. It's these little bitty details, even from like, hey, under center play action, like a little bit wider play action snap point than uh, like inside zone, like just something that you can get feedback from Justin and say, I feel really comfortable doing this. Okay, well, this is, hey, if I'm under center, I don't want to naked to my left. I just want to naked to my right and I want to set up. Or maybe I like going to my left because it switches up what defenses do. There's all the little bitty intricacies of the game. You switch a couple of those with a couple personnel changes, like you're going to get the most out of Herbert. Ben Johnson, Dennis Allen, and I'm calling Mike Munchak and just being like, hey, you want like $3 million? I know you're semi-retired, but it's warm out here. It's nice out here. 
here's like three million bucks. And I know the Chargers don't typically operate like that, but looking at how underwhelming the performance of this year's offensive line has been when you compare it to the hopes we had for this group coming in, that to me is also a very important hire for however they build this next staff. But we could talk about this forever. There's a lot of other things we want to get to. What's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run? Take a nap? Read a book? Show up for a friend? Show up for yourself? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Showing up for yourself, that's a big one. That's exactly what therapy is. Doing what you need to do. Carving out the time that you need to make sure that you can show up for yourself and take care of what you need. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Maze today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Maze. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another quarterback who's facing a pretty uncertain future here is Justin Fields, who finds himself in a fascinating situation, both over the final four games of this season and then the next four to five months. I want to start with resetting where you think Justin Fields is right now since returning from injury against Detroit a few weeks ago. What have you seen from him that's maybe kind of caused you to rethink how you see him compared to other quarterbacks in the league? Well, one, they're winning, right? Like yeah. that's the biggest thing. They're they're winning. Um, number They've two, won two not, games in a row. <laughs> that, yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot for us. Yeah. I mean, in yeah, that that is. And in as crazy as it seems, I don't mean to give you extra hope because I know you're a huge Bears fan, but you guys are one game out of the playoff race. I know. And you still own the one and the five pick. Like best of both worlds, right there, dude. That's amazing. That's why I don't care if they were to make the playoffs and stumble in, and they're picking 18th. I know that's not the ideal circumstance. It's it's probably not worth it. But owning the number one pick, no matter what happens with the Bears pick, is a very nice place for all of this to land. Yeah, and I, I think with that, like, okay, so he's winning. He's not taking the sacks that he was early in his career, or even the first few games of the year. He's getting the ball out. He has a plan for every single play. And when that whole soundbite came out of like, oh, you know, Justin, why aren't you pulling? Like, he's like the coaching. And he had to come like that whole crazy, like how people thought he was throwing coaching under the coaching under the bus. But in reality, I think that he was thinking too much. He was being overcoached. A guy like this that makes plays with his legs, that makes plays with his feet. Like you can just see Luke Getze finally saying, okay, it clicked like, Here's what we need to do with Justin. Get the QB run game going. Let's give him half field reads or pure progression reads. To me, that has changed drastically in this offense. And he's playing What a lot were better. they doing? What what were they doing in terms so, of progressions I mean, that you think was overloading him? Well, I th- I think there's there's two things that I think may have overloaded him and I say may because this just looks like he was operating slower than what he does now with this new sort of schematic scheme they're running. One was it was a heavy first really six games of last year until the New England game. And then really the first couple games of this year, it was a heavy play action under center shot game. And I'm just like, that's not what he does. Like having to choose, having to trust that he can throw the ball deep enough and accurately enough. Not that he can't do it, but the fact that is like you have this guy, this extremely talented football player under center and just tell him to throw if it's not there throw it like no that 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 changed they're not doing that quite anymore now they did it a couple times last game and he 
wide open guys. Like imagine that. And then the second thing was in shotgun, what they were having them do is, is read coverages post snap and all quarterbacks do it, but like, Hey, here's your single high zone side. Here's your quarter side. And with so many things going on on defense, like, and what teams were doing, like, especially at Minnesota game, they're blitzing all the time. Like it's just hard for a quarterback to operate when you, even if you second guess your decision to work the right side and all of a sudden there's a side that you work. Say you work the quarters beater side and for some reason they rotate late it's single high. It's not good. Just wasn't finding his check down quick enough. Like to me, that's what was going on. And to me, you watch and maybe there's a few plays like that every game, but most of the past game is, Hey, get out on the edge. Um, uh, like a gun play action, which I think is really good. An RPO. And then like, like pick and stick sides is what we call it. So like, hey, just just read left to right or read, hey, high to low, flood in the side of the field. All this has changed and it's made him, in my opinion, play more confident. And when he's played more confident, you're starting to see success, man. You're starting to see him use his legs. You're starting to see him do these things that when they drafted him that they hoped that he would do. I It's funny that you say all this because I think that departure from – pick a side based on the coverage to pure progression reads. That's a league wide thing that's happening. I think a lot of teams around the league are saying, fuck the coverage because we don't know what it is. That's the nature of NFL defense at this point is that defenses are trying to make it so much more difficult to pinpoint that stuff pre and post snap that I think smart teams are saying, I don't care what the coverage is. We got all purpose plays for for whatever you're trotting out there. So I think that's a lot, a lot of young quarterbacks to play a little bit freer across the league, not just Justin Fields. And I'm with you. I think that we've seen an uptick in confidence, just the swagger he's played with over the last three weeks when he's doing that dance after the slide in the first and Detroit the game. First down I, I love seeing that. When you think about how beaten down he's appeared at times during his career, that's been really encouraging. All of that being said, there's still stuff that worries me. There is still stuff that worries me this deep into his career. If you go back and really watch that game against the Lions last week, there are some really exciting plays. The guy is unbelievably talented. He is a supernova of physical ability, but the timing still concerns me. He's late on stuff. He's holding the ball a little, a tick too long, way too many times. And, not, and not, I'm not talking about one, two, three times a game. I'm talking eight to 10 plays last game where he can just let it rip a little bit quicker. It is an, he is an imperfect quarterback. And for the Bears, that's why I land on the side of you have a clean break, just take the clean break. If you're going to deal with an imperfect quarterback prospect, deal with the one you're picking on a rookie contract that is arguably a better prospect than Justin Fields. You have a free chance to turn the page. For them, I think that makes sense. For other teams that don't have that clean break opportunity and need someone at quarterback, I think he is still a very interesting proposition. Teams that have painted themselves into a corner a little bit at the position. Would you feel this way if the Bears went to the playoffs and somehow, some way, won a playoff game? Would you yes, feel yes. the exact same way with the turnaround that Justin has done? You you sort of paused. No, I would you sort of pause there. I, w- I would feel this way if if it was if they were continuing if they won a bunch more games. To me, it's not about the end result. To me, it's about the process of how we're getting there. If they're winning a lot more games where he's making three, four, five plays as an athlete every single game, the defense is playing at a really high level, which it is. I'm I'm using that as a reason to say. What if we dropped a more consistent, better quarterback into this situation with this defense? Then what could we be? Not, eh, this is good enough. Let's continue to play this out. That, I mean, th- yeah, that makes sense. And, and, and honestly, like I've said it before, I'll say it again. Like, I'm so glad I'm not Ryan Poles because it's such an interesting predicament he's in. I say predicament. Look, you got the first and the fifth pick. Like, are we, and this is not, this is just like rhetorical for viewers. Are we having this? question and conversation if the bears don't pick one right because there's not, really like they are you no know, yeah I, and i know i know that but that's also like got to play into it in in terms of like thinking like how do you know that caleb williams or drake may is going to pan out are you going to get the next cj stroud you don't are you going to get a you don't, you don't and that's why you don't know Justin Fields is going to pan out either. Yeah. And at no. least with those guys, you have four cheap years and a huge runway to eventually make that decision. You have to make the decision on Justin Fields' fifth year option after this year. 
I don't know if they so so that's that's exactly what I, just, I don't know if they pick up the fifth year option and they still might draft a quarterback at one and have him sit under Justin. Like all these scenarios are in place. I don't think that'll likely going to happen, but there's a possibility that you could have two of these quarterbacks at a very unique number, right? Like rookies, you have two you have Justin Fields not on his fifth year option, low salary, and then you have a Caleb Williams or a Drake May First round pick for that, pretty low salary too. So say you have twenty five million between two of these guys, and eventually, if you can get some trade compensation, like probably going to take it. But I still think that what Justin is doing right now, maybe not for the Bears, maybe not for the Bears, he's playing himself into another contract, bro. So like, that's why I don't. No I wouldn't hang it. on to him. That's why yeah. I wouldn't. There are two things that I would weigh with the keep Justin on the roster with the number one pick. One. I'm sure he has big fans in that locker room. The style of play, what he has brought to that team, he's played his ass off. Removing that Justin faction and new quarterback faction, potential tension in the building, I would do that if given the chance because I do think that's worth considering. Two, I think he has real trade value. So if he's sitting on your bench, if he keeps playing like this and keeps showing some of these flashes, I think there's a chance that his highest peak value is at the end of this season. Sam Darnold went for a two and a four. In the following draft, when he got traded to Carolina, Sam Darnold, during his time as a starter with the Jets, was the worst starting quarterback in the NFL. Truly. If you look at every single metric, he was the worst starter, and he went for a two and a four. Justin Fields, if you were to pick up his fifth-year option, and if you traded for him, I think it might make sense to do that, it would be two years, $24 million in 2024 and 2025. It's like two years of base, $2 million of base salary next year, $22 base salary the following year. That's $12 million over two years. That is dirt cheap for a quarterback with potential if you are the acquiring team. I would take that swing if I were one of these teams that didn't stumble their way into the number one overall pick like the Bears did. Just because the Bears shouldn't keep him in my mind doesn't mean he's not a worthwhile option for other teams that don't have this sort of option. All right. My pushback on that a little bit is like, what happens if you take the number one pick and whoever it is, right? It doesn't matter. It's a quarterback. And um, you, during the draft, trade Justin, because I agree with you, his trade value, right? Like at the end of this year, the way he's playing, it's going to be at his highest. You're probably going to get something similar. I'm glad you said the Darnold thing, because I think that's very similar for what you would get dirt cheap. But what happens in the year of the backup quarterback this year? What happens if your number one guy gets hurt? You're back to square zero as a Chicago Bears fan. When you've built up the roster around you, we could play what ifs forever, but this is a this is a legit question with how many quarterbacks are there. So, like, I think teams, I do think teams, maybe not, maybe not the Bears. I think teams will continue, especially after this year, when you've seen over a third of the quarterbacks get hurt and injured and big name guys, they're gonna put more of an emphasis on backup quarterback. And with Justin's contract without picking up the fifth-year option, you have a pretty cheap guy. As a backup quarterback, forget all this faction. You're you're a grown man in the locker room, dude. Deal with it. Here's what we're doing. That's what I would tell the guys if I'm the front office, because you get the best of both worlds. You draft one, you keep Justin, you have a legitimate backup quarterback. If you do think that you're going to win right away with a rookie quarterback, a la Houston Texans, CJ Stroud. This is where our difference in perspective becomes really important. You're looking at this like a lifetime backup quarterback. I'm looking at it as a football internet nerd who's seeing the, the second and fourth round picks and just being like, yeah, I want that. I would just rather, I'd rather have the picks than the security at backup quarterback. I just, I always come back to the Tom Moore thing. It's like, if the starter goes down, we're fucked and we don't practice fucked. Like, it, like I would much rather live in that world with the picks, but that's where I'm at. So in this little hypothetical that we're talking about where Justin Fields gets traded. Who do you think makes the most sense for Justin Fields this offseason if he's going to get moved, which I think he's going to? I mean, uh, an offense uh, similar to what a Jalen Hurts is running, right? And you look at Indy. Well, Indy's not doing it. They got Anthony Richardson, right? Like, that's not happening. So, I mean, I, honestly, I haven't even thought about that. But it has to be a team. First of all, if you're trading for a Justin Fields, you have to be willing to completely – like if you're trading for him and what you're giving up and what you're paying, he's your guy at least for the next year or two. So you got to build an offense that fits his skill set and his skill set is what he's been doing as of late, and that is 
the uh the like half field reads that we're talking about the rpo type thing like i could just imagine if you put and teach justin fields what jalen hurts offense and what they've been doing in philly and you run that offense i think he could be a superstar like i do think that there's a little bit of I don't think it's being talked about enough. It's like if Justin is in the right fit with the right guys around him, I think he could be special. Now I'm not saying a top 10 quarterback in the league. I don't know. Maybe, but I think that you put guys around him and you build and true offense around him because this, this offense was not built for Justin. And, and, no. and that's, that's the craziest thing about it is like you saw the first six or seven games of the year until the new England game last year. And I'm like, what are you like? What are we doing? And all of a sudden, he now switches the offense, and he roll. They roll like on offense at least the rest of the year. And then you look at, you have the same offensive coordinator, same quarterback. You look at the first two or three games of this year, you do the exact same thing. Like that KC game was hard to watch, bro. Like I'm like, what are we doing? Like that's not Justin. And all of a sudden, you switch it up again in the back-to-back games before he was injured. He goes off, and he then he plays like. So if you just build around them, I think there's something to it that you could have special around them. I don't disagree. And again, I think for other teams that aren't being handed the number one overall pick in the draft, there is an appeal to that sort of path and that sort of timeline. There are a group of teams that I would keep coming back to when having this discussion. Okay, The team from a football perspective, from an offensive structure perspective, from a need perspective, that to me makes the most sense in a vacuum is Atlanta. You drop him into that offense with the quarterback run game, they've shown a willingness to adopt with the right guy. When they had Marcus Mariota, the play action shots they took off of it, just from a pure football perspective in a vacuum, not something I think will happen, I think Atlanta makes the most sense. The other teams I would mention, if Washington doesn't put themselves in a position to draft a quarterback in this year's draft, which they might, we'll see how high Jaden Daniels now ultimately that goes. That would be sweet. Dude, if if the, he goes to Washington, well, we'll see if the there, right? So that's the other question is who's going to be in charge of the Washington football franchise. Washington is one of them. The Raiders, okay? If the Raiders aren't in position to draft a quarterback in this year's draft, you've got Aiden O'Connell as a potential cheap option that they could just keep rolling with, but they're a team that might be in the quarterback market and a team that I think it's particularly interesting to me because they're definitely going to be looking for a new offensive coordinator this year is the Steelers. If the Steelers decide, hey, we did the Kenny Pickett thing, even if we didn't put him in the best position, we still think this isn't our best path forward. Are they a team that could look to take a big swing and try to go get somebody like this? And I have, by the way, I've got an interesting name for you if you're picking a coordinator to do this with. Yeah, who? Greg Roman. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, what he did with Lamar was insane. Right, So you you get to a place where he's overstayed his welcome when you're trying to take the next step as an offense. But what if you're trying to take your first step as an offense with this type of quarterback? Is he somebody that would be worth calling as you're trying to build that up at the beginning? I mean, yeah, absolutely. I love that name. See, you... You did a bunch of this research, I, but I like I like every one I of those. I just did that. Think, that just came to me in the last ten seconds. There was no research yeah, that went into are, that. I mean, honestly, if if you're if you're if you're an NFL franchise and you like, there's probably going to be. I mean, on average, there's seven to ten new quarterbacks a year. Like, just trying to switch. Like, so if you're one of those seven teams, maybe this year that need a quarterback or thinking about a quarterback, like Fields is probably an upgrade. Right. And so I think you're definitely kicking the tires and honestly going to Chicago, like, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? We want to we want to trade before it gets too high. So they're going to have multiple suitors for it. Last question I want to ask you about the Bears, because I want your perspective on this. If it keeps going like this, let's say they finish. Seven and ten, the defense keeps playing at a top five clip, independent of the Justin Fields conversation. Would you keep Matt Eberflus? Yeah, I would. I would. I, I think I'm not the right person to ask for that because Eber was my defensive coordinator at Missouri. And that's right. That's me. right. That's right. Yep. He was there when I was so, there. So I'm loyal to him, man, because he 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 made such an impact in my life. And I just think that he's proven enough and shown enough, especially as of late. Like you gotta you gotta keep rolling with it. You hired him for a reason. Don't let one bad season get you down and, and move on. And there's gonna be some candidates out there that might spark your interest. But I think at the end of the day, like 
the Bears need an Eberflus, like guy, like a CEO, defensive guy to keep you together. He's one of the best coaches I've ever seen. It like keeping a locker room, talking to a locker room, keeping these guys focused. So I, I'm going to say yes. I think he's shown a lot in keeping this thing going in the right direction, especially on that side of the ball. I would be open to a revamp on the offensive side if they pick a quarterback first overall. I think that is something that would be worth exploring. Let's stick with the backup quarterback conversations here. And it's been hard to avoid them this year because every single week there's like a disorienting set of backup quarterback performances that make me wonder what the hell is going on. Let's start with a game a lot of people watched on Monday night, and that is Tommy DeVito leading the Giants to a win over the Packers, which we all expected, obviously. In the span of like three weeks, the Giants went from not letting this guy throw the ball past the line of scrimmage during an NFL game to a place where he played a real role and them knocking off a potential playoff team. So I, I just want to put this stretch, these last couple games and Monday night's performance into context a little bit. How real is this, what we're seeing from Tommy DeVito right now? Well, it's a great story. I mean, it really is. The fact that he's living with his parents, the fact that his agent's kissing his dad, his dad's kissing his agent. God, I would um, love to live with but, my parents right now. That sounds awesome. Gosh. Right. Just go and have like like, mom make you dinner every night. Not for a long time, but just for like a week. It sounds great. Just just for like one small stretch. (laughs) Yeah. And so like when you turn on the tape, it's a little bit of a different story. Now he has galvanized that fan base. He's galvanized that locker room. He's won coaches over. Um, and rightfully so, because I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. It's, it's become a huge story as it should. Like Tommy Cutlets is in New York. And anytime you have a interesting New York quarterback, an interesting Jones, Italian New stay. York quarterback, yeah. it's yeah. important and to not, mention. Yeah. Like Daniel Jones and him could not be more different. Like Daniel Jones is very monotone. Just like no emotion. This dude is like, he's enjoying it in his agent. Okay. Two days ago was on every talk show in America. And he's not hiding you it. Don't, you don't say. <laughs> yeah, and he's not hiding it. That's the thing. He's like, yeah, we're trying to take advantage of this opportunity. Like, bravo, dude. Like, bravo. This guy probably, his whole uh, life is made because he was seen on national television kissing his dad. Um, okay, so get back to the actual play. When you turn on the film, like I broke down, I think they they won in Washington, right? Uh couple weeks or th- three weeks ago. And I thought he played like three touchdowns. I thought he played really well in that game. And he turned on the last few games and it's, it's been okay. Like it, like, yeah, he made some plays and when he needed to make some plays and the two minute drive, that route by 17 was just so dirty on the corner route. Like, that it, guy it was, has real juice, by the way. The dude Get, is getting insane. him back. Uh, he has really given a lift to that offense with the ball in his hands as a route runner. I wasn't sure what he was going to be coming out of Kentucky. He had that one year is undersized, but he makes a difference when he's on the field for them. And him missing all the time that he has, you notice that. We're talking about Wandell Robinson, by the way. Yeah, Wandell. I mean, he's he's had a he's had a a heck of a past couple games. They try to get him the ball a lot more, and and I think like, look, he's doing. What backup and really he was a third string quarterback to start the year. He's doing what, what you want backup quarterbacks to do early in the year, like don't lose the game. Right. So he's managing it really well. And then he's unlocking like his legs. Like I didn't know he could run like that. Like some of that zone read has stayed in that Deion Jones was had. And then he's just sort of made the throws that he needed to make. Now a couple of times he got off like first or second progressions when they were open. That's just gonna like I don't fault him for that like you just got to get experience on that but it's not this like crazy like oh my gosh he's like this amazing quarterback with this strong arm he's just sort of like like playing with swagger playing with energy and that sometimes needs to happen when you're so used to like this sleepy old offense in new york that you just don't have any like juice he's bringing the the team juice and that shouldn't be discounted for like he's still is playing really well. And, and obviously like the coaching staff last week was like, Hey, we're not going with Tyrod. We're going with him. I thought that was surprising, but right. That says so a lot because the way he's, me. yeah. And, but the way he's played to me, that said more than like Kafka and Dayball 
what they're doing. I, I don't know. It's it was an interesting situation, but when you turn on the tape, it's good. It's not great. The biggest thing he did on Monday that it was a departure from what this team has dealt with for a lot of the season is that he was mitigating pressure in the pocket with his mobility. I think they had 13 pressures. The giant, the Packers did during that game. He did not get sacked one time. That being said, he's gotten sacked a lot in some of these other games. So it's not as if this has been a consistent thing for them, but on Monday, his ability to get out of some of those situations. And then what he did as a runner is a huge reason that they won. All of that being said, Think this is a fun story. Think that he has given them a little bit of juice in some of these areas. I'm not sure when this thing turns back into a pumpkin, but I think it might happen sooner rather than later. <laughs> well, and then, uh, like, yeah, I'm glad you said it, not me. Um, look, I, I love love the story, love everything about it, and and honestly, like, maybe did a little bit of disservice, and he can't help the way he plays on that. But like playing on Monday Night Football and balling out the Troy and all those guys are loving you up like left and right. They have like production packages. So it just grew his legend right in New York and nationally. And so when it does turn around, I think it put a little bit of maybe undue pressure on him to perform a certain way. Uh, now, now that's great. Now I'm sure they've got some endorsement stuff from it. Awesome. But yeah, I, I tend to agree with what you said. What I will say though, is that this has caused me for, I think, the third time in the last six months to sit back and reevaluate the way I'm looking at this giant staff. The fact that they're putting together a functional NFL offense with a, back, a bunch of backup offensive linemen, a bunch of not starting caliber offensive linemen, and their third string quarterback, and they're doing this, I don't know how to process what the Brian Dable-Mike Kafka experience has been like. Because last year, they did an unbelievable job piecing together that offense with Daniel Jones, a subpar offensive line, and zero weapons into a borderline top 10 unit, according to every single efficiency metric you want to look at, and a team that won a playoff game. Then you look at the first half of this season, and they could not function offensively. They could not field an NFL offense. And I know the line was a mess. I know that there are a lot of extenuating circumstances, but I'm sitting there thinking, what is this? And then Tommy DeVito comes in there, and he's playing at a level that makes me rethink it again, where it's like, well, what, look at what they're getting out of Tommy DeVito. So my head has just been spinning around as I try to place how I'm supposed to feel about this staff and what they get out of their quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean it's it is it is an interesting road traveled starting back from last year with Dave Hall and Kafka and what they've been able to put on the field because last year they won a bunch of like close games, right? It could have been the complete opposite, but they didn't got to the playoffs. And then this year, like you said, like that I just remember that Dallas game, that first game was just like, Oh my gosh. And that had something to do with Dallas's defense, right? But then it wasn't what he, just what Dallas, are, though. They, that yeah. happened every single week for the first That's month the of the year. That's the game that sticks out, though, most, like, for me. And then, yeah, it just is, like, I think the help of Wondell Robinson. I think that offensive line starting to get. And if you look offensively, like, truly break, like, break down the film, which I do, um, they're not running concepts that are, like, foreign. Like, I'm seeing very, like, I hate to use the word vanilla, but I'm going to use the word vanilla, vanilla schemes offensively just to get him open. Like they ran Hank, right? It's two deep curls and a guy over the ball at least three or four different times. And they've run. So, so it's not like they're, he's just doing the normal. This is talking about like uh, DeVito. He's doing the normal better than most. And so he's not like doing this like crazy throw the ball down. Like he's hitting a corner route. In, in that big play to Wandell to get him into field goal range. Like, yeah, you should hit a – like, he's making the plays that he should, but he's galvanized a franchise and really a whole fan base and, and the nation with it too, which has been really cool to see. It's been a fun story. Somehow, Tommy Cutlets is playing out of his mind right now and still might not be the best backup quarterback story in the league because Jake Browning has not just been a feel-good story. Jake Browning in his first two starts has, or in his last two starts has been one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the NFL. Okay. He's completing 82% of his passes over the last two weeks. He is second in EPA per dropback among quarterbacks who started the last two games. 
what is happening here? And can this keep going where we think the Tommy DeVito thing might run out of gas? I, th- I, I do think this can keep going because I trust what Zach Taylor and that offensive staff have done the past two games and what they've shown to sort of pivot from what Joe Burrow with an injury did to Joe Burrow getting back in a healthy to now what Jake Browning does, because I think there was just a little bit of a feeling out phase between Zach Taylor and Jake Browning on like, Hey, what does Jake Browning do? Well, like, let's go back. Let's study some tape in Washington. Let's go back and really look at the first couple games that he's played, maybe some preseason tape. And they're just putting him in, in a position to succeed. It also helps that you have Jamar chase, chase Brown, like Joe Mix, like all these guys, T Higgins, like it helps. It helps tremendously. And I think what Jake is doing is he's, doing some things that are expected, but also making the big throws in the big situations that maybe I didn't expect he would like totally different story than Tommy Cutlets, right? Like they're pushing the ball down the field. He's getting more comfortable in that scheme. He's had five to six weeks as the starting quarterback in practice. I can't tell you how much of a difference that makes in practice. When you're with the center, when you're with the starting receivers, when you're finally throwing to him, you're getting these the timing down, and then that whole thing that we talk about all the time is quarterback confidence, right? He's built his confidence up and to show, hey, I can play in this league. I can play at a high level, and I'm going to continue to play at a high level. It's been fascinating watching the recipe of their offense in a post-Joe Burrow world. And some of these numbers are influenced by Burrow being hurt over the first month. But even after the bye, when he came back and looked healthier in that Arizona game, The Bengals were using play action in about 23% of their dropbacks. That's middle of the league, essentially middle of the pack, much higher than it used to be under Joe Burrow. So you saw the next stage and the next bit of evolution from who the Bengals wanted to be. With Jake Browning in, they've cranked the dial. So over the last two weeks, he has used play action on 33% of his dropbacks, which is the second highest rate in the NFL. They are doing so much more with play action and the screen game than they ever did with Burrow. And that staff, again, deserves a lot of credit for saying, okay, we have this guy. We have this set of skill position players. How are we going to win the football game with this quarterback and the players that we have now? And it's not running the same offense we used to run with Joe. Because what they did with Burrow is they catered it to how he wanted to play. Now it's catered to maximum quarterback efficiency when you don't have a supercomputer back there playing the position. And they've done such an incredible job of tailoring it that way. It's funny because some of these teams that rely on play action and live off of it, they're pushing the ball down the field as a result. The Bengals are averaging six air yards per attempt on play action. It's all little tiny slash and dash stuff over the middle of the field, but it's working extremely well. So I do think even if the runway isn't a full season or isn't going to be Jake Browning isn't always going to look like this, no matter where he lands in his career. I think that this version of it for at least the next month might be able to continue at like 70% of this pace. That would not be crazy to me. No, no, not at all. And, and I was, I mean, count me as surprised. Like the Jacksonville game that he played was just like once in a lifetime, like going down, potentially beating the number, like they could have been the number one seed Jacksonville if they would have won, like all that stuff, super high completion percentage. And he comes back and does it again, not to that rate, but I'm just like, man, okay, there's something to this guy. There's a reason that he sat behind, watched Joe Burrow, that he's learned this offense, and he's just taking advantage of the opportunity, right? Like that's that's what I like to remind people is like when you have an opportunity as a backup quarterback, especially a backup quarterback, most position, most important position in sports, you better seize that moment, man. Like you better seize that opportunity because one, you know, you've been waiting your whole life for this moment Two, it's going to set you up for some really nice paydays down the road. And three, it's going to let you stick in the league, like all that stuff. And I just think that's the story to me is like, man, it's an awesome story, but like, it's just another like story that is not talked about enough. It's like, you're just seizing the moment. Like people tend to forget, like it's a backup quarterback. You don't get to play. You don't even get to practice with the ones you don't get to practice the offense. And so when I see a guy like a Tommy DeVito or a Jake Browning have that success and them seizing the moment, like it makes me excited. Jake Browning is an exclusive rights free agent after this season. 
He's been somebody that was struggling to hang on the back end of rosters. I encourage you guys to go listen to the conversation that Zach Kiefer had with Paul Diener Jr., who covers the Bengals for us on Kiefer and the Beats earlier this week, going through Jake Browning's story. He was calling his old college coaches ready to go be a coach after getting cut by the Vikings in 2021. He was staring down the mortality of his career. Jake Browning, to this point, has made $1.7 million playing professional football. He came out in 2019. Based on this, he may make $1.7 million next year playing professional football somewhere, whether it be in Cincinnati or somewhere else. And for somebody like that, that is life-changing amount of money. Well, he even the original his career tender, earnings in yeah. a year. Well, even the original tender next year is going to be like $2.5 which I can yeah. imagine that, that they would do. So they're, he's going to make more than that, which is crazy because for sure they're going to keep on to him. Now, yeah, it's the, the question is like – does, does a team have an offer sheet that they want to sign for him? Probably not, but like he still is going to make a ton of money, make have another year, and then go be a free agent and hopefully make a lot of money. The last question I want to ask you about this. Why do you think some backups fizzle out after a couple of strong performances to start off when we see them? Josh Dobbs being a good recent example. The Vikings are going to Nick Mullins after Josh Dobbs was one of the stories of the season for a good chunk here. And I don't necessarily blame them based on the way that he's played over the last couple games. So why does this happen where some backup quarterbacks just run out of magic after three or four starts? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that when a backup quarterback goes in and they haven't practiced or they haven't really practiced the game plan because they don't get any reps during practice and maybe a starter gets hurt or a short week and they go in and, and ball out a la Josh Dobbs, um, you tend to not think and just play and you just throw to the open guy yeah you know the offense yeah you know this there's no really reps to to lean your head on and be like hey this is what it should feel like but it's not so you're not overthinking you're just going out there and play and at least people I've been around and with the Dobbs thing that I think could probably make a, a little bit of an issue as you continue to um, play more games you're your amount of plays that you've run continue to go up. So your mind thinks, Hey, this is a certain way it should be, if that makes sense. And when it isn't that way, sometimes you can overthink it. And when you overthink it, then you're not playing and you're not playing in that free state. If that makes sense, it's hard. It's really hard to explain, but I hope that makes sense. Like you almost like, at least for me, like I know when I'd have a full week of practice, or a couple weeks of practice together, back to back with the ones, I would almost overthink things, and rather to just like let it fly. Like, yes, you you have to prepare all this stuff, but it, there's also this thing of like clouding your judgment and clouding your mind. And I think for the most part, when backups do fizzle out, that's probably one of the few reasons that 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 is. Last backup quarterback thing I wanted to hit here, Joe Flacco has really lifted the Browns. Their offense looks different with him back there than it has with pretty much everyone not named Deshaun Watson so far this year. What has stood out to you about the way that Joe Flacco has kind of lifted this offense over the last couple of weeks? Well, just the fact that he's 38 years old slinging the pill, man. Like right. the arm strength looks like it's gotten stronger. Like the but obviously like the number one thing is like the arm strength under center play action shots at fancy is is dialing up that run game like that's what's crazy to me and i know it's in the rundown but i'm gonna say like how how was he not how was he not part of the jets call list when aaron Rodgers got hurt that forget about what he's doing with the browns like the jets went all in and flacco knows people in that in that he was like, there last year and and yeah it's a new offensive coordinator i know you want a guy that knows the offense flacco's pretty smart like he can obviously can learn an offense. So the fact that he was sitting on the couch and we've been talking about it on another podcast I do since Aaron Rodgers got hurt. Like why is Joe Flacco not on the team? And the Browns released this little, little thing on Twitter of like Flacco hyping him up. I'm like, dude, you've been there two weeks and you're already like, it's a good story, bro. But they're using that under center play action. He's, he's making a few dumb mistakes and he, even him in the, like the mic'd up, he's like, all right, I need to stop making those mistakes because he hasn't played, right? He's only practiced two full weeks. And I just think that like, this gives Cleveland like real juice. Like if their defense can travel on the road and play somewhat decent, cause they're amazing at home. Like they got a shot to get in this thing. 
your experience with this is a little bit different because Breeze had almost like a degenerative shoulder condition. So at a certain point when he was getting up into his late 30s and early 40s, he, it was going to fall off a cliff. We all heard the story a couple weeks ago. I was thrown with his left hand now. That's a slightly different consideration. But with some of these other guys who just have generational arms, what Joe Flacco does, by the way, Joe Flacco was a first round pick 15 years ago. It's important to remember that guy can sling it. How long does this last? Like if Marino, if you were like throwing the ball around with Marino in the yard right now, do you think that he could just still rip it at like 55, however old he is? Probably. Yeah, probably. I mean, it, it, it's all like you got to, first of all, Flacco has been like super healthy. He's gotten a lot of time off, a lot of rest. And with guys like arms like that, like, I don't think you lose it, dude. Like I've been around some like dudes that are 50 and still slinging it. So like Brady could still sling it, right? Like, I think you saw like one of those things that, uh, is is the rare air when you knew the time was ending in Denver was Peyton Manning like his arm got like you could yeah. tell and you could see it go down the hill same with Breeze a little bit like you could see but with Flacco like I think he could play a couple more years and still like sling I mean because you just look and they're throwing the ball they're chunking the ball and he is just like perfect deep ball pretty so pretty yeah, it's been so much more interesting and just engaging to watch that offense with him back there. I mean, he makes them so much more dangerous come playoff time, in my opinion, just because the volatility with him pushing the ball like that combined with that defense, it just becomes a more real combination to me in terms of what they could potentially do in a playoff game with him back there. All right. That is all we've got. We have a couple other conversations I want to get to that we're going to hit next week that we've been putting off because I'm getting too deep into the Justin Fields and Justin Herbert parts of this. But as always, guys, sincerely appreciate everyone listening. Sincerely appreciate the time. Please check out everything else that is happening on the Athletic Football Show feed this week. Like I mentioned, great episode of Kiefer and the Beats. Dana Nate doing prospects to pros. Draft season starting to ramp up now with the tankathon situation coming into kind of kind of crystallizing a little bit talking about where these guys are going to land. Guys are declaring for the draft, so plenty of stuff to dig into there. Also wanted to mention, please check out the Best of the Athletic from 2023. That article drops next week on The Athletic. There will be a hub for all of it that includes stories and podcasts that is going live December 18th next week. So please be on the lookout for that and everything else that we've got coming on the feed over the next week or so. As always, appreciate you listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show. Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.